Welcome to the Good People Podcast, where each episode we explore what it means to be good by talking to everyday heroes, philanthropists, and altruists, and do-gooders. I'm Kelsey Timmerman. Kelsey, happy Saturday. Hey, Jay. How's it going? Good. What are you drinking? Oh, let me see. I'm drinking the beer. You gave me a little bit of an Alpha King. Oh, yeah. That's, That's kind of... Kind of a standard. Yeah. But how about you? How about you? Uh, for me, today is Dewclaw Brewing. Okay. Okay. Sweet Baby Jesus. Sweet. <laughs> sweet. Wait, is that the name of the beer, or you just like loved it so much you're like, Sweet Baby <laughs> no. Jesus? That is the name of the beer. It's a chocolate peanut butter porter. I know. It's really it's really good. And you were telling me it. earlier that it's uh, holy water. Right. Yeah, it burns. Burns me. <laughs> it burns. It burns. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually chocolate peanut butter porters sometimes are... Uh, they can be a little over peanut buttered, okay. If that's a verb, yep. <laughs> it is now. Uh, but it is—it's uh, very balanced. It tastes yeah. like a, a a porter with a little bit different turn on it, so it's very good. Yeah, good. it's a good Saturday afternoon. But yeah. I am definitely taking a nap after yeah, this. Yeah, I'm getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think one of the whole reasons that we're even doing this podcast is because in the course of um, me researching, my researching—I don't know. I can't do grammar. <laughs> <laughs> you are an author. Yeah. Remember that. Um, but in, in the, like we had conversations about the work that I was doing. Yeah. And um, while you were writing your book, where, was, where am I giving? Where am I giving? I didn't even say the name of the book today. Where am I giving? You should. And, um, you know, really, some of our conversations really stuck with me and I think really informed me and some of the questions I asked as I traveled around. And one of the guys that I asked a question of was Scott Neeson. I talked about him maybe an earlier podcast. He's a former Hollywood executive who left his career behind, uh, making you know million dollar a year income or whatever, and now works at a lives in a dump in Cambodia and works with the the families and children. Right. In he intentionally walked away to live in to to live in that dump and to have an impact on those people. Yeah. So I'm going to do that really only thing where I read from my own book um, we, to quote. Um, so uh, this is after I was talking with Scott. And so I told Scott about a conversation I had with my friend Jay. That's you. That's me. That's you. Who has had a great business career but told me that he was desperate to make a difference but not sure how. And this is what Scott told me. He's lucky because he feels that desperation. The people I feel badly for are those who it hits them way too late in life. For me, it wasn't about glamour, glitz, Porsches, boats, and material goods. The Amer- that gets us basically. The American dream got screwed up in the 1990s when it became about materialism and superficial stuff. Mm. So, yeah, um, and that's relevant to the conversation that we're having today. Right. Yeah. The uh, um, the interview that we are about to do is a friend of mine. Now going to be a friend of yours, um, Julie Austin. Um, she is someone that, um, and of course, she'll tell the story that we've known each other for many years, used to work together um, through a partnership. And um, I, I believe her story has some relevance because of the path she's taken. Um, and she is a person that, is, that uh, has learned that desperation. Um, and I'm excited to hear her story told and I think it'll mean a lot to people that hear it, because um, she is a certainly she is certainly an unusual person in the world I live in. Yeah, I think that there's this narrative I hear a lot of people who become amazing givers when they work their way up the corporate ladder or income or notoriety, and then they become amazing givers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and they tell us how the rest of us should give, and I'm like, well, great. 
Scott Neeson when you're earning a million dollars a year, right? Yeah. Uh, but there's something really powerful about the a person's story who's lived a story that is the opposite of that, right? Right. right. They they came from the corporate world and then they left that behind to give in this other way. And yes. I was, you know, I think Julie's story is really going to um, challenge a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it does me because um, it certainly is one of those things that comfort is uh, comfort is something that all of us ser- search for, right? And money certainly is one part of that. It's not all of it, but it certainly is one part of that comfort. And, you know, it's somewhat the American dream, right? Everybody works hard so that they and their children and their children's children can be comfortable. Um, we can pay for health care. We can pay for education. Uh, you have a nice couch. Your car doesn't break down every five minutes, right? Those things are all things that we take for granted when you reach uh, a level that you can afford those things for yourself. Um, but that isn't the case for everybody. And it certainly isn't the case for everybody in the United States, but even more so, not the case for a great percentage of people in the rest of the world. Um, so Julie's just one of those people to me that is it's an unusual perspective, and I'm excited for people to hear it. Yeah, I think her just going to offer an enlightening view for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to it. Hey, Julie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So you uh, happen to know Jay Mormon, uh, the co-host here. Um, for so tell, give, give, give me some dirt on Jay. Oh, no, I can't. That, that can't. That that would have to be edited out. <laughs> so. The whole point of this podcast is to introduce Jay to good people. <laughs> so I, I can guess learn. he is not one. Oh, that's, that's kind it. of what I'm trying to. Oh, do. well, so. yes. well I, uh, I I'm doing my best to help bring him around. Thank you, Julie. You're welcome, Jay. Yeah. So how do we meet, Julie? We've known each other for many years. Yeah. So let's, how long ago was it? It was a really long time ago, but um, we met in my uh, life 1.0, as I call it. So I was working in the financial services industry and uh, developed a partnership with the company that you worked with and uh, known you ever since. Yeah. Yeah. And Kelsey, I don't know if you know this, but um, uh, Julie and I used to do like recently, we would do calls every Friday just to, to, think through our lives and everything going on in the world. And um, that should have been a podcast, actually, Julie, don't you think? That, that would have been a really good podcast. Yes. yes. Uh, how long did we do that for? Like, uh, a few months, right off and on, depending on schedules. But Yeah, I mean, it was probably a good six months. Yeah. Julie's life was uh, extremely busy. Yeah. So I, that kind of brings me to why I wanted, uh, I thought Julie would be a, a great guest for the podcast. And Julie, I'll let you tell a little bit of the story, but... Um, you know, like she said, she and I met uh, as partners in the corporate world, right? Um, and um, I know I can say this uh, um, clearly, but that—that's the world where you know you're 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 working for the corporation, you're working for shareholders, you're working for a profit. Um, and her life has changed since then, and I think her perspective of that is a is a fascinating story. So um, I thought it was one that would bring some insight um, to us differently than some of our. Um, previous uh, um, interviewee. So, Julie, do you want to talk a little bit about just where that path took you and where you are now, and then we can reflect on that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. Um, it was interesting. You know, I've listened to you guys' podcast, and I think one of the things I first thought is, why in the world do they want me on this podcast? Um, and I was thinking about that even on the drive in today, kind of getting ready to talk with you guys. And I think what I'm going to do hopefully today is represent everyday good people. 
I think you've had some really extraordinarily good people <laughs> on your podcast that do things that are out of the ordinary. Um, but what I want to share with you is kind of the journey that I've taken from from one set of ordinary to a new set of ordinary, <laughs> if, if that makes any sense. Um, so I grew up in the financial services arena from a um, career perspective and just kind of fell into that career, did really, really well, um, but started going through some personal transformations with the loss of my father um, in 2012. And by 2015, I had really gotten to a place where um, I assumed I would continue working in the corporate environment the rest of my life, uh, but I was going to therapy to survive that. So I was going and I was saying, hey, you're going to have to help me because I'm not supposed to be doing what I'm doing. I don't get anything out of it, and, but I'm the breadwinner. I, you know, our entire life is kind of built around this career, so this is where I'm at, and I just need you to help me figure out how to make my life how to make meaning fit into the cracks and crevices left over after I do this big kind of corporate career that I've found myself in. At that point, like what is your life like? I mean, are you? Uh, it was sweet. <laughs> I was working from home. <laughs> uh, I, I, my husband and I had built our dream home from the you know ground up built it to be there until we died. We'd had two children. I was forever home. Absolutely. I mean, like the vanity in the bathroom was short for me and tall for him. It was our home. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, That's what I want. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, like the guy who's like six. Yeah. <laughs> your, your counter would come up to my forehead. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, we had this really nice home and, um, when my daughter went to kindergarten, that was the first person to leave our house full time because my husband was a stay at home dad. I had been uh, pregnant and had both my children while working from home. I had a home office that we had built and soundproofed for me to work from. Um, and you really, I mean, I traveled about once a month, once every six weeks for, uh, you know, three to five days. But other than that, we were home. Uh, I worked Eastern time in the central time zone. I was off at four um, and I was making a, a very nice salary. So um, for all intents and purposes, I was extremely successful and had every reason to be blissfully happy. Um, but I wasn't. I mean, I just wasn't. I didn't feel like what I was created to do, like I was doing that. Um, I felt like I was bought and paid for mm. by yeah. corporate America. So, and Julie, that's one of the things we talked about in the first one. And one of the reasons Kelsey and I started talking in the first place is, is I, I kind of represent that position, right? Which is, you know, I, I, I earn that paycheck. I'm not sacrificing the things maybe I should be and, and thinking about what it means then to be a good person in that environment with that, with good money coming in a stable condition, a nice house, um, is an uncomfortable position for many that have any amount of empathy, right? So, um, so it's, we'll let you keep going, Julie, but I, I, I think that's an important first stage of why Julie's story is so important because I would bet, and the people that have commented to me about the podcast are all people in this position, exactly in yeah. that position. So was that why you were uncomfortable because of, it's because you didn't like what you were doing or just because you thought that there was... Like something meaning yeah like a meaning or something else out there like what do you think it was 
So, you know, I've, I've always been a writer. So I, I had a, a blog that I wrote and what I, I did, I, I think it was probably a couple of years um, before the big change happened. I started for fun researching poverty. Um, and I started um, trying to figure out, you know, where we, where poverty comes from, what that means to be living in poverty. I just kind of immersed myself in generational poverty. You can't study poverty without starting to learn about um, racism and systemic racism and institutional racism. And so my eyes just started opening to this entire um, level of existence that I just hadn't seen before. And I think, you know, when I think about my transformation, I feel like I had about 50 veils hung in front of my face. And just those, you know, those years from 2012 to 2015, 2016 were just veils being lifted. And once that veil was lifted, I couldn't unsee what I had saw, as Rob Bell would put it. Um, and so by the time I got to the point where, um, where I eventually made the change, it was just too uncomfortable for me to live in that life anymore. It just felt um, too just disingenuous for me. And that's not to say that some people can't find meaning um, in a successful career. I absolutely believe they can, um, but I a thousand percent believe I could not. So what, what were you books were you reading? Like what were some of those things that lifted those veils? Do you remember some? Um, yeah, the new Jim Crow was a huge one for me. Um, when helping hurts, learning um, how I, what you guys have talked about, how going into these other countries and doing you know short-term missionary trips where it's really about making you feel good rather than making lasting impact. Um, just learning about really the poverty levels and the racism and the issues that we have in our own country that I think. Um, from a position of privilege and wealth, you just don't get exposed to, um, and you don't see that unless you unless you go looking for it. So, so right right around that time in the news, I'm trying to think when Ferguson, when Mike Brown, like that was probably in that time frame, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Did some of that play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, there was a whole host of things going on. Um, kind of in that time frame, we had, you know, President Obama had been elected, which I think brought a level of focus of, into racism that we didn't have before. Um, I think there was this backlash, which of course we're seeing even more so now when that happened. Um, and then we started having kind of the more attention placed on the violence and things that happens to people of color in our country. And um, it, it was just kind of a culmination of all of that. And I found myself, I, I, I think one of the most telling stories is I found myself at a conference in California and the CEO of Wells Fargo was the keynote speaker and I was sitting in the crowd and all of a sudden people come rushing onto the stage from behind the curtain and they come rushing into the auditorium from the back door and they're protesting. They have their own PA system and they're protesting foreclosures. It was around the time of the what was that 2007 to 2009 um, timeframe. And I had just kind of started all of this work and I just sat there thinking, I am on the wrong side of this situation. Like I would much rather be bum rushing the stage than yeah. sitting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there were just, and there were just so many of those things that happened that I thought, you know, I'm just, I'm just not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So, 
then what happened what was the big moment that happened next career-wise um so in i know in january of 2015 i um spoke at my church and shared my story and kind of the journey that i had been on and that next year of 2015 was really me kind of working through how i'm going how am i going to stay in this corporate environment um feeling the way i do and literally to the day january of 2016 one year exactly from the date I shared my story, I was laid off. Mm. And um, when I got laid off, I, I contacted everybody I knew and told them not to tell me about any jobs. Mm. Don't put my name out there. Don't put my resume out there. If I go back into this field, I will never leave it. This yeah. is my one shot. And I, and I will say, as somebody that may have been a reference, as a friend of hers, mm. it, 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 she could have landed another job in a week. I mean, her expertise and her skill set and her communication, she would have been ready for that yeah. next big corp, and she'd have stayed in that house. She did not all the things that most people do when they leave a big company like she was in. She would have used that name to go somewhere else, and layoffs, corporate layoffs happened. Um, she would have easily found another job. So take me to there the about moment. thirty of us. So many of them found other jobs. Yeah. So take me to the moment into the room or email or whatever it was where you got laid off and like what's the first thing you thought after that happened? Was it like freedom, you know, or was it like yes, or was it like oh no, what about my kids' school or yeah? Yeah, it was. It was very interesting. I was. I was. I was angry. Without a doubt, I had to work through some anger and frustration because I didn't agree with the decisions they were making. Um, it had been frustrating to be, and, and it wasn't the company that I left, it was any company and the amount of money that corporate America spends on a daily basis on really ridiculous things <laughs> um, and seeing kind of some of that corporate waste and all of that. And so by the time I got there, I was really mad at corporate America in general. Um, so I definitely had to go through that. But there was also just this overwhelming peace. And I had actually, in my um, therapy appointment in December before Christmas, I had told her that I thought that I had, um, that I had pushed far enough that I wasn't going to have to figure out how to survive corporate America anymore. I could kind of see the writing on the wall. Um, and so it was really just this sense of what's next. Like this, th this is scary, but this is exactly what has to happen. Yeah. So Julie, I think this is a, this is a good point because it is this transition that I find particularly interesting and, um, um, and really was taught me a lot in following you through it. So give kind of the short list of then you went to and became um, and then I want to talk about your observations. Now you have, you have a, you're, you're building and educating yourself for a different lens on the world. I think you'd already started that way, but mm -hmm. your career stop then teaches us a lot. Yeah. So, um, 2016, it happened in, in January. Um, in that year I went and I finished mediation training, um, for the state of Missouri. So I must, uh, a trained mediator, um, I looked at a variety of ways to use mediation as a career. Um, I started baby, I mean, I was a Swiss army knife of jobs. I was um, taking care of a little baby. I started working at a progressive church that I was a part of. 
Um, I started speaking at that church, which I'd never done before. Um, so just this huge transformation. And at the end of the year, again in December, again with a therapist, um, you know, I'm like, I, I know I'm supposed to be going somewhere, but I can't figure out exactly where I'm supposed to be going. And she asked me, you know, just the, the age old question, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And without a beat, I said, well, I would be a counselor. I'd be a therapist. I would be helping people. And she said, well, then go do that. And I was late for my next therapy appointment because I had my first class. So I enrolled for um, social work, which um, is so much broader than I understood it to be. And um, I actually finished all of my coursework today for my bachelor's in social work. <laughs> and uh I had a bachelor's in information technology, but they weren't impressed with that. They needed something in the helping services. So yeah, so I start my MSW in the fall. Yeah, and so um, so you so then you pr became professionally employed as a social worker, and that's the office you're sitting in right now, right? Yeah. Um, yes. Um, just another kind of crazy alignment of events because we have a practicum at the end of your um, bachelor's degree that you have to do, which is typically unpaid. Um, and I had parted ways with the church that I was involved with, which was a small part paycheck, but was the only paycheck I was bringing in. And by split, uh, parting ways with them, it got me into looking for something. And I took a job here um, that paid $10 an hour uh, coaching youth. And through that process, got the opportunity to interview for the program manager position and um, was able to kind of leverage, which I didn't know that whether I would be able to do or not, but I was able to leverage all of the experience and leadership experience and um, organizational experience and things that I'd gotten from my corporate career and leverage those along with my education to find a really good fit here as a program manager for the agency. Yeah. So... Um, one of the things you and I have talked about, and we'll get into your observations and what you've seen in social work, um, but this perspective is very interesting because you went from a job that, and I'm really going to oversimplify this and probably piss some people off, but you went from a job that really is about shareholder value and is about you, mm -hmm. right? So you're contributing, and there, like you said, there is some worth in, and I'm sure people find value in, and, and, and certainly you can create a lot of, of, of um, uh, meaningful work within a corporate environment. But if I oversimplify that a little bit, you're working for something that doesn't have that, have the same sort of um, meaning as social work does. You got paid well there. Um, social work obviously is at a different scale in terms of, of salary. And how has that observation been? I mean, you, you have a part of you that's saying, I'm doing valuable, truly valuable work for people that need it. Um, in contrast to something that I would argue is a little less valuable. Uh, and the pay scales are so much different. How has that transition been? And how has it made you feel? It's been really interesting. You know, part of the social work education, um, and I'm sure that this is the same in every um, university out there, but part of it is preparing you for the fact that you're going to be doing really, really hard work for really, really low pay. And that is a topic of conversation, I think, in every course that I had, that just be prepared. It doesn't pay well. It's really hard, but it's super meaningful, and the world needs you. 
And so I think had I done that at 18, 19, 20, I would have had this kind of, you know, fresh idealism and I'm going to go out and do this and then I'm going to get this job and I'm not going to get paid very well, but it was probably more than I ever made before I went to college. And then I make a little bit more and a little bit more. And then I kind of see people with, you know, these fancy jobs jobs that I don't really get. And I think, you know, the world's askew, but I'm making a difference. Um, that's what I think I would have done. Unfortunately, having been in that world and made that salary and then kind of doing this backwards and coming into it, it it's been, it's been really aggravating. <laughs> um, it's been really hard. It's hard to sit in this office and think what it would feel like to earn my old salary. I mean, it'll, it'll make me tear up. Yeah. But to be valued yeah. at that level yeah. for the work that I'm doing now would make so much sense. It, yeah. And to right. be valued. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, when I hit six figures, I went home to my small town in Missouri. I was living in Atlanta. I went to a small town in Missouri, sat down with my grandma. My mom had told her my new salary. And my grandma says, honey, I'm really proud of you. But I just want you to know, no one is worth that much money. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I mean, she was super sweet. You know, didn't mean that at all. She just thought it was hilarious that anybody would get paid that. And, yeah. and you know what? I think there are definitely people that earn that, that, that are deserving of that salary. I don't think any of them get paid it, though. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, so, so how is your view then? Because your 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 day to day, the people that walk through that door behind you, you mm -hmm. are seeing, and you and I have talked about, and you've posted about, written about privilege. Yeah. Um, you were living a privileged life. Um, you know, I, I I went out to to dinner with Julie and groups of people many times, and we had very nice meals and and uh, martinis and talked mm -hmm. and had a great time and. It was all on the corporation. She went home to the house she had built um, and that she enjoyed with her family. All those things were great. Um, she was privileged, right? People that walk through that door with you, Julie, are not um, in so many, so many different facets of their lives. How is your view of the idea of privilege? And, and I'll let you put the word white on it if you want to, or just privilege in general. But what have you seen that has taught you so much in the chair you're in now? Well, I, I definitely think it's white privilege, um, not afraid to kind of own that label. And, and I still enjoy it today to a different extent and in different areas of my life. Um, however, uh, I think, I'm not exactly sure how to put this, but you can't, you can't see what you can't see. That sounds pretty obvious. Um, but when I was living in that environment and living in that world, I really felt like I'd earned it. I really felt like I had worked really hard to get to where I was. I felt like I had a good sense of business acumen. I was able to add value um, given the right circumstances. And there was no way for me to see life as I see it today without having gone through this journey. And so I can't, I can't go to you, Jay, and say, you know what? 
you could live in a thousand square foot house instead of a 6,000 square foot house. And you could get rid of most of what you own. And you could be happier doing that. Had anybody came and told me that, I would have literally told them it was not possible for my family to downsize into a thousand square foot house. But that's what we did. That's what we had to do in order to, you know, pay the bills and go back to school. We had to do all of these things that seem impossible until you have to do them. Um, you know, and, and that's just how life is. And there's, I don't know of a way to fix that except to have used, to use my voice now to say that it's possible to use my life now to say that, you know, what you think you have to have, you don't have to have. And I would give anything to have known that a decade ago. Because had I positioned my life a decade ago the way it is now, um, there is so much good I could have done in the world. And so part of me says, well, hey, go get your great big fancy job back, stay in your little house, and use that salary for good. Um, definitely something that is an option that I could do. However, I know that the value that I bring to the world is not financial. Um, that, that would not be fulfilling for me, and it would not have the impact that I want to have on the world. Um, whether or not that's selfish, I don't know. But I think you can be selfish in a variety of ways not just financially. So, I mean, you kind of feel like it, it was a choice because you didn't, like Jay said, you could have easily gotten another job on that same level. Um, and to some extent, every day you get up and you make that same choice not to pursue that career. Yeah. Do you feel like it is a choice? Is it a choice that you've second guessed at times? Um. The only time I second guess it is whenever things get so tight that we're kind of like juggling to figure out how to make things happen. You know, I had to postpone my daughter's birthday because we just didn't have it. And my kids never heard that before. They never had any idea. We're going to school probably two weeks ago. And my daughter said, Mom, I get that we have to wait a little bit on my birthday party, but tell me again why you left that one job you had. <laughs> She's like, remember, because we probably could have still been in our house, right? And what was it you did? You worked for a bank? And I said, yeah, you're right, Grace. I said, I absolutely could. And we could. Um, I said, you're absolutely right. And she said, well, didn't you, didn't you make a lot more money then? And I said, yeah. And I'm sitting there driving her to school. She's in the back seat. I'm like, how in the world do I explain this? And, well, I finally, what I told her was, I said, you know what? I had a choice to make whether I wanted to be successful with our money or successful with our life. And I decided I wanted to have a successful life. And for me, that means we don't have as much success financially. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. she said, Oh, okay. And you, and you see those sorts of sacrifices in the, in the people you're dealing with, right? You're seeing the outcomes of, because you have the, you have the privilege, I guess, of, of lots of things, but you have the privilege of having the perspective of what it was like when you did, have that amount of money and mm -hmm. that salary in the door or a lot of those folks may not even have seen that side of the world right they're they're a absolutely yeah they're living they're living from a position of um looking uphill at all those things and never having been up there which is right yeah yeah and i think there's a level of um 
just a level of empathy. I'm not really sure how to describe it. Um, but I can bemoan the position that I'm in compared to the position that I used to be in um, and probably would more were it not for the fact that the community of people that I love and serve today, um, many would give anything to be in the position that I'm in today. Um, and, and I did leverage all of that experience that I have to have a, a good job in the social work profession. I'm not, you know, I'm not fresh out of college type of salary. I am making a little bit more um, than what most would coming out of college. So um, it's, it's really, it's really frustrating for me because I can't get as mad as I want to get <laughs> about where I'm at because I just constantly see where everybody else is. And so that's whenever I said, you know, I think coming on here is representing um, the everyday good people. I think what I never realized when I was in corporate America is I lived in this bubble and this environment with all these great people like yourself, Jay, where, you know, we cared, we had these great conversations, we were trying to do good work, we we're trying to take care of our coworkers and, um, you know, and just live our lives and not realizing the hundreds of thousands of people that make the world work, the teachers, the policemen, the social workers, um, all of these people that are out there doing such good work for so little pay. Um, and so if you wanted to interview all the good people, it would take you lifetime after lifetime because there are so many people who have dedicated their lives to making this world a better place. And I did not know that. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, we got we got lots of more episodes ahead of us. Yeah, we might take. Some <laughs> I think one thing I find interesting is that like your path, starting off with the with a high profile job that paid a lot of money, sets you up um, to do this work and be successful and and possibly more impactful at it. But there's also sometimes I get um, a little frustrated with this this narrative I see where people work on Wall Street for a couple years. And then they then they start a nonprofit or they travel around the world. Like they they set themselves up for life and can do whatever they want. And then like, look at me, I'm, I'm doing, doing whatever this, I want. Good, good, you know, it's good. Yeah. It's great that they're doing good work. But that that was not your situation. It wasn't like that. You set yourself up for life, and now you're going to go like get a job as a social worker. Like this is sadly no. <laughs> I, I you know. I wish it was, but I did, I think, what everybody else does, and you just kind of spend your salary. You know, I had no idea this was going to happen. So what I made, we spent. I mean, that house wasn't cheap. Our life wasn't cheap. Um, unfortunately, no. How did you give when you were in the corporate world and define that however you want, and how do you give now? Um, so... I mean, I, so I come from the Christian tradition and I have always tithed. Um, I've tithed 10% of my gross salary since I was in my mid twenties. Um, and I, and I did that consistently until recently. Um, and I've had to change that up and that's been hard. Um, but now I give every single day. I mean, I feel like my entire life is, um, I, I give every day, all day. Yeah. 
that I, and I think that is a really interesting way to look at it, right? Mm -hmm. So um, one, of the, one of the things we've talked about, Kelsey, is me trying to figure out how I am impactful in the, in the life I live, right? Which is the, the earlier Julie life. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> good mirrors of each other, right? Um, and, uh, and so I am trying to, see now I'm gonna get emotional, Julie. I am trying to figure out how to make that impact while still staying in my bubble, yeah. right? And she and I have talked mm -hmm. about that. I'm still in it. So how do I go about um, doing that without, without, and boy, we've sure talked about it. Karen and I have talked about it, Julie, but how do we make that leap to a thousand square feet? To, mm -hmm. And we keep telling ourselves, well, once our youngest is gone, which is two more years, we, mm -hmm. don't, need, we don't need the bedrooms. We don't need the space. Uh, we don't need the basement for them to play in anymore. Those are all the good excuses, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, but Julie's kids aren't out of college mm -hmm. or going into college. They're they're younger in there. Um, so um, I'm still trying to to manage what is essentially a rounding error in my salary in comparison to Julie spending ten hours a day doing. Yeah, that that affects me. So. Yeah, and I don't know. Go ahead. Oh, I just have this this question, and so I've never really been in the corporate. I've never really had a real job. It's still, <laughs> I've never had a real job. Um, but like you know, I think about like in the military, like you're finding for the person next to you in terms of like who you're serving. Is it similar to? Well, it, it, yes, I. It's similar to that. So I. So if I find meaning in it, and 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 boy, I could really get into the founders of my company and where it came from. In fact, mm -hmm. I wrote a book, and I. I do believe there is something to the community of it, right? And and while I'm not, uh, you know, the sort of extreme capitalist, Julie would agree it is important to have corporations that have jobs and pay health insurance yeah. and, and help move the economy forward and all those things. Um, and it does matter. I find meaning in my job because lots of people are employed in the area which in, within I, where I work. And for it to be successful and for them to pay their mortgages and pay their kids to go through school um, and – hopefully find personal growth in what yeah. they do. I find meaning in that. It is not near the sort of meaning that Julie gets from her job. Mm -hmm. So I don't want it to sound like those two equivocate at all. But, yeah. um, that is where I find meaning. And, yeah. and I feel like every day I have to kind of grab myself and go, okay, those relationships matter. Those people's jobs matter. And that's why I'm there. Mm -hmm. But in the bigger picture, it's a little more tough to talk off. And mm -hmm. she and, Julie's one of those people who helped me learn that. What now? You're one of those people that have helped me learn that for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, I think, again, I don't think that it's, um, it's not that you can't be in corporate America and have a meaning, meaningful life. It really isn't. Um, I just think it's really hard to see around all the privilege in front of you. Um, and so, you know, I think, it, you know, my ideal life would be, what would my ideal life, I'm living my ideal life. However, <laughs> um, you know, if I could shake a magic wand and know back, you know, 15 years ago what I know now, I would try, now see, here's the thing, this would never happen, but I would live in this little house, right? And I would have earned this salary over those 10 years and I would have taken all of the excess salary that I made and I would have invested it in my community and, um, 
you know, and I, if I wish there was a way to pay people more that do the work. I mean, the people that work for me today, um, you know, they spend four hour shifts, eight hour shifts in a really hard environment, pouring their heart into these kids. I work in a juvenile office, kind of an alternative program. Um, and they're pouring their heart and their lives into these kids. And I would love to have been able to come up beside them and, and pay them, you know, help pay them a living wage. I don't really even know how I could do that though, right? Mm -hmm. It's all grant funded and yes. you know, taxes and yeah. all of those things, right? So, and, and I never would have done that, right? I never would have had that corporate job and thought, well, I'll just buy, you know, I'll live on a $40,000 salary and spend that other $100,000 on doing better in society. We just, we don't do that. <laughs> and I don't even know how someone could wrap their head around doing that. But come to find out you can live on, on much less. Um, <laughs> there is a, one of our podcasts that talked about effective altruism. And mm -hmm. One of their philosophies is earning to give. So regardless yes. of who you earn money, give away. I mean, people get, like almost uh i don't know what to say but they, they go extreme with it and they're mm -hmm. living on like twenty four thousand mm -hmm. uh, dollars a year in a really expensive place to live uh and they're giving the rest of their money away you know they're giving right. like 75 percent of their income so there are you know there are people who do kind of challenge that narrative which is yeah. like not delay your birthday but we're never going to have any birthday presents ever yeah right of, right and uh Again, it's all relative, but that's a that is an extreme way to say we own the entire globe and we're all going to be brothers and sisters. Right. That's why I wonder about like this this uh, the meaning that you derive from a job. If it's it's helping the person next to you, I feel like we all have like a equation that we like. Am I doing good today? And I help this person. I help this person. But does your do you go outside of that bubble? Right? Do you see outside the bubble of your own? house your own job your own your own city or wherever do you get beyond that to see the need outside i mean we all have both well, yeah so, some more than others of course but i i know people that you know they can they can look at people at, at you know any level of um, destitute um situation and say that's theirs mm. they gotta own it i can't affect it, it has nothing to do with me and i'm not going to contribute to it and i didn't cause it yeah um, two people that go all the way to selling everything they have, live in a tent and say, I'm going to take every bit of money I have and I'm going to give it away. Yeah. I know there's two ends of the scale, but I know, I certainly know people on the, the uh, former. Yeah, for sure. And I think what's really cool about the social work lens is that it does look at, you know, the micro, like working one-on-one -on -one with someone and it looks at the what they say what they call the meso level which is working within your organization or within agencies and then the macro level which is affecting policy running for office how you vote working towards that so um, one of the things that i really really gained from this education is just taking that kind of global environmental perspective and seeing how all of it fits together and all of it impacts everything else. Yeah. I often talk about how we're global and local citizens. So that's kind of, mm -hmm. right? kind of like um, different levels. One of, one of the things that you point out in an earlier conversation we had and speaking of social work is that I have never heard of this before, but the, the ethical principles for co the code of ethics, ethical principles yes. of social work. Um, 
and I have them pulled up right here and I can read them unless you by chance happen to know them or want to talk about I, them. Well, I don't have them by heart, but uh, I can look them up. And for folks listening at socialworkers.org has uh, in the about section has the code of ethics for social yeah, workers. So I'll just read the ethical principles. There's just a couple of them. Uh, one is yeah. for service. Social workers' primary goal is to help people in need and to address social problems. Another is social justice. Social workers challenge social injustice. Another is dignity and worth of the person. Social workers respect inherent dignity and worth of the person. Um, importance of human relationships. Uh, ethical principle is social workers recognize the central importance of human relationships. Another value is integrity. Social workers behave in a trustworthy manner. Another is competence. Social workers practice within their areas of competence and develop and enhance their professional uh, expertise. It seems to me like those are almost just like, that's how we should all be. That's how to be good humans. Right? Absolutely. So when somebody said I should go get a social worker's degree and I was thinking about being a therapist, I, it really did not connect at all. I couldn't figure out why in the world they would recommend that. Um, and so I went and Googled social workers and the code of ethics came up and I just, um, I, I just teared up reading them. It was just like, yes, this is who I want to be as a person. This is what I want to do. I think it's what we should all strive to meet those yeah. It's a very good principle. Yeah. 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 Well, absolutely. Well, Julie, anything else you want to cover or promote? We're, uh, we're happy that you were able to join us today and very, very inspirational uh, time for me, especially. I think Jay's probably going to get fired. That's what I think is going to happen. Right after this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how it happens. <laughs> a little bit over here. I'm a little concerned because I'm like, Kelsey, thanks for. Yeah, podcast. Thanks fired. a lot, Kelsey. <laughs> yeah, but other than Jay possibly getting fired, is there anything else that you want to share? That's really my primary goal, but um, let's see. Now, I think just, you know, what I would just say is if everyone could just think about what they were made to do, I think too many of us live our entire life kind of in a fog and we really just do whatever is the next step laid out in front of us without really forging our own path and looking for our own path. And so the encouragement that I would give to everyone is just to be brave with your life. And if you feel like you're created to go in a certain direction, the world will rise up to meet you. You just need to take that first step. And the scariest thing that you can think of will probably happen and it won't be as bad as you think it will be. Fantastic. Yeah, that's complacency disturbing for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any place that we can find you online? I know that you've had some, you write a blog or have written a blog. Yes, I have an somewhere, but. old defunct blog <laughs> that I will start writing again as soon as I stop writing papers. Um, JuliaGraceAustin.com. Okay. And that has my story on it, and it will uh, it will liven back up soon. Yeah. Fantastic! That's a whole other podcast. Well, thank you. She's got a lot of <laughs> great information. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. You're good people. We Why, like thank you. So are you, Jay. <laughs> and you too, Kelsey. It was oh. great to talk to you guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, Jay, thanks for introducing me and. Uh, everyone else to Julie. Uh, I, I think some people have lived certain life experiences that 
give them um, they almost seem more enlightened than the rest of us. I feel like that's where Julie's at right now. Yeah, she she certainly um, she offers a pers- offers a perspective, um, and she does it so much on Facebook too. And she she'll she'll write a, 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 you know pretty long, interesting posts that that teach and and uh, um, and open people's uh, minds and hearts to so many things. She's just a fascinating person. Yeah, and she started that enlightenment, you know, as I look back at her story, and as she told it, I didn't even know some of this, but she was already prepping herself for so many things. That change of life and professional career happened to her very quickly, but she had already talked to her therapist about this job isn't giving me meaning, and she was reading books about um, perspectives of other people, and I think she always had a heart for this, the work she's doing now, but she just didn't know how to get there. Yeah, those those veils that were lifted. You know, I always wonder, like, what comes... First, was that inside of her or, or was this like journey to awareness? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's easy for us sometimes just want to turn away from that awareness and pretending that we didn't learn those things. But she said, like she'd heard from Rob Bell, that you, know, you can't un- you can't unsee it. Yeah. Right. Once you're aware of this thing in the world, how can you unsee that? Yeah. Yeah. And it and uh, yeah, she's she was put in that position um, because of the the ending of the job. But like I said, her resume was spotless and ready. She very easily could have stepped into something exactly the same. She chose not to do that. So when you see a colleague that all of a sudden takes that step, like how do you how, how do you feel when you first hear that? You're like, oh, I'm so I'm so sorry for her. Or are you like, wow, she's I'm a little bit jealous of her. Or like <laughs> when someone is let go like that. Well, um, I know about like, but like. Just the journey that she started on, you know, is yeah. it challenging in any way or is it just like her? Well, in so many ways, yes, it is, because I, I think that's my eventual that's my eventual outcome. Right. Is and I keep finding ways to think about at what point does that make sense? It's almost like when you're thinking about becoming a parent and you say to yourself, when will be we be ready to have a child in the house? And people tell you. You're never ready. Yeah. Well, that's kind of me. I, you know, I'm, I'm always in that, well, when am I going to be ready to do something completely different than I've done? Um, um, so, yeah, there's a little bit of, gosh, I wish I could just, I could put a hammer to that, to that, that whole idea of myself mm-hmm. uh, that I haven't done yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and she, she made the choice after the circumstance to just break every bit of that glass she could. Mm-hmm. And she did. There's a couple times, I don't know if the listeners will be able to pick up on this, but you know we interviewed through video that she got pretty emotional. Mm-hmm. And one of those times, she's sitting in her office uh, where she's a social worker, and uh, she talked about uh, if she got paid now, what she got paid then. And, mm-hmm. she, and, and so why do you think she got emotional at that point? Well, I'm, I'm sure it's a few things. Um, the obvious one is um, just just the, and I've watched her and talked through a lot of the struggles she's been through. The, the money's been tough. It's just tough when you're, you're, you're really stretching to make ends meet, selling her house, as she talked about, moving into smaller, putting off family things, paying for education, um, not being able to afford what she did before. That's the obvious one. I, I think, and who knows, she can, she can, we can post this and she can comment. <laughs> um, I think the bigger one is my guess would be that it's her feeling recognized for the important work that she and the group that she's there with does mm. financially recognized. Right. 
it's it's almost like we're voting with our money yeah. a little bit. She talked about that, but they're doing life-changing work in situations that are very difficult and they get paid nothing to do it. And all of us, unintentionally, but all of us kind of go, yeah, that's what you make as a social worker. And if for some reason they all got paid a lot of money, the dollars equaled the value they were giving, what a statement to make mm-hmm. for someone making a difference like her. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the emotion is. Yeah. I, mean, I wish we could do that. Mm-hmm. In a previous job, she talked about how she earned a really good income. And she said, the quote was, I, f- I felt like I had earned it. Yeah. You know, and almost like in hindsight, she doesn't have that same feeling, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah. I, I think if you talk to, it would be an interesting survey to say, to ask people based on income level to talk about their top 10 attributes. Cause I really think you, you, you can very easily talk yourself into why you mm. you're worth every cent you because you're smart and you've worked mm-hmm. hard and you've made your way up the career ladder and within the bubble you're in, you've obviously proven yourself in yeah. some way or another, but we all know in the global scheme of things, like she said about her grandma, uh-uh. <laughs> not really. Yeah. Grandma will put you in your place. She's great. <laughs> That's a great quote. Yeah. Um, what else? Oh, you know, in some ways now, I, I think it was fascinating to think about her thinking back how she would give, how she should have given then and the impact that she could have yeah. made. But, you know, she's like, well, like anyone else, I spent, spent my what income, I made. Right. Yeah. yeah. And well, and <laughs> I, it is a really good way to look at it. And, you know, uh, going back to your book, uh, where am I giving? She, her job is giving. Yeah. Every day she walks in that place, especially at the salary she's making. Um, I would go home at night and say, I've done everything I can. Mm. I don't do, I don't feel that way now. Right. I don't go home at night and go, I've given everything to the world that I could possibly give. When she goes home at night, she has to, she has to go to sleep at night thinking that's, I've done what I can do. I bet she doesn't though. Right. Well, knowing Julie, I bet she, she feels like doesn't. that there's like, she's probably so aware of. What she could do if she had more time or she more She can't resources. unsee what she's, she's seen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So she's, like she talked about, she's, uh, we talked about that post-interview. She's fighting for how to get yeah. people paid more and to, to make a bigger impact. I'm sure those things stick with her, yeah. too. You know, we yeah. started off talking about Scott Neeson in Cambodia. And one of the things that um, he's told me before is, like, you know, if, if I don't go for a walk through the community, there might be um, a family that's new to this community who needs help that I didn't see that day and I wasn't able to connect them, Yeah, you know? And so he doesn't go to bed satisfied either, even though he's in a place that you and I probably would not want to be. He lives a life of purpose, right? I don't necessarily think, I think it's different than happiness, but like he is fulfilled by the purpose of what he lives. But I always think that everyone always feels like there's more that they could Right. Well, and I think that goes to, and I know this is one on our, our discussion list, but that goes to you talking about charitable giving is, is often painful. It's not fun. It's not glamorous. Um, uh, it's not an event where you, you know, you dress up, buy tickets, have a catered meal. It's difficult. It's hard. It's painful. That's what charitable giving really looks like. Yeah. The warm glow of giving, you know, I, I bet Julie doesn't go home every night. And it feels like, oh, warm glow. I feel so great. I'm no. so pat myself on the back because she's in the trenches doing hard work, the, the work. And she knows that it's going to be there tomorrow and yeah. the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that really stood out for me from her 
was she talked about how she, uh, Julie 1.0, as she called it, she succeeded with money. And this is what she told her daughter. Man, how do you not wreck your car yeah. when your daughter asked the question? Yeah, about, why didn't you stay with that old job? Because I could have a birthday party. A better and sooner birthday party. And yeah. she said that, that she succeeded with money, but now she wants to succeed with life. Yeah. That was really powerful. Yeah, that's that should be the title of the episode. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for introducing us to Julie. Um, it was great. Awesome. Great. Thanks, Kelsey. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Good People Podcast. Special thanks to my friend Jay Mormon for co-hosting and to Cliff Ritchie for the great tunes. You can listen to Cliff on Spotify or find him at cliffritchieyart.com. Let's keep the good going. Please share, rate, and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Visit kelseytimmerman.com slash goodpeople to find show notes, suggest guests, learn more about my books, and tell us about the good you are doing in the